guys, welcome back to another episode of Outpost of Heaven, the podcast. I'm Emily Jordan, and I'm here with my co-host and husband and best friend, Andrew. And we're super happy to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're new, welcome. And if you're here, still here, um, we're just super grateful for your support. Um, So thank you. Today's episode is a part two of a two-part episode with Lee and Liana Kinney Kinney. We're continuing our conversation on anxiety and depression. Uh, Last episode, episode 32, we talked about defining anxiety and depression and postpartum depression. So if you haven't listened to that one, please jump back and go ahead and give that a listen so that you're a little more prepared to listen to today's episode where we talk about how to help our loved ones who are battling anxiety, depression, postpartum depression, and other mental illnesses. Um, We also talk about drinking and um, the seriousness of that and how we can help our loved ones, our family members, our friends who are going through these serious issues. Um, So we love you guys. Thank you so much for giving this a listen and giving us a chance. Enjoy the episode. be real. Home is the place where all of the beautiful goodness Christ taught crashes headfirst into the ugly brick wall that is real life. But this is also where it starts to really matter. This is where we equip ourselves and our family with all of the tools, skills, and whatchamacallits vital to succeed in Christ. Join us in our journey to find light, positivity, and specific practical ways to make our homes little outposts of heaven so we can better brighten wherever we end up wandering. And I think sometimes from um, when we think about like mental health from a Christian perspective, Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we we overemphasize the spiritual nature of our being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We 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 recognize that we are children of God, Mm -hmm. and that we have been sent here, Mm -hmm. and we focus primarily on our spiritual aspect, Mm -hmm. on our spiritual yeah the spiritual side of our identity, but we don't recognize that. God also gave us a body mm-hmm. and we are subject to the yeah. to mm-hmm. the chemicals and to yeah. all the things of the body. And Correct. so like our moods and everything is a constant battle between those right. two aspects of our mm-hmm. nature. Yeah. Yeah. Part of our being here on earth is learning how to how to how manage to, and how what to what's the word to experience? Um master. Master, yeah. The it's mortal master. body, right? Yeah. In- including our emotions, I feel like. And that's hard. Yeah. yeah, that's really hard. Especially when we, we realize that like the body, <laughs> like we're uh, like I don't believe the body is something that's evil. I know there are mm-hmm. like a lot of religions out there who see the body as something who's as, as purely negative, but I, I believe the body is something that is is positive, and so mm-hmm. we should look at this opportunity to grow and to kind of synergize these two aspects of our existence and of our being as a positive thing right it's because we're going to be stronger once we're able to use the best of both both aspects of our being what does that look like in you know the eternities i don't know exactly mm-hmm. like how is our exactly how does our body add to our, our spirit i have some some ideas but that's a little bit outside the scope of this this conversation so in our communications before our uh, before we met today, right. um, you said something that Emma and I both really loved. Um, you, you talked about how everyone 
needs to seek help at times. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be, I think there's this big stigma around therapy and needing medication, yeah. but like everybody needs help. And even I think waiting until it's too much can be quote unquote too late, not that it can't be right. fixed or helped, but that like even coming, seeking help sooner than you may be desperate for it right. would be right. a good thing. And the example you brought up, which I believe is recorded in John one of the gospels i think it's john uh when christ is in the the garden gethsemane um, and he's praying the lord sends an angel to comfort him so like Mm -hmm. christ the messiah the savior (laughs) like the perfect only perfect person ever walked the earth stood in need of comfort yeah Uh, and we we love that idea we love that imagery Uh, and so we want to talk about how we can be those angels for our loved ones so how like even like those because we all need that help, and so like everyone's going to need that at some point, and so everyone is going to need an angel in their life. Right. So we want to talk about how we can do be that angel for somebody else. Okay. And every person is so different and needs something different mm-hmm. and wants to feel mm-hmm. maybe validated or comforted in a different way. So I feel like there's really no like magic one thing, no one quick fix that you could say to your suffering friend. Right. But what are maybe some things that With we some can some guiding principles? Yeah. Yeah. Guiding principles and helping people. Do you want to start first? Okay. Oh, okay. I guess I'll... <laughs> I, you know, with uh, helping people along, it's weird to be in a profession where you are trying to help people. But what people don't realize is that the, helping somebody is mutually beneficial. Okay. And so um, there's this idea that we have to deal with our problems alone or that you should deal with your problems by yourself. And adopting this mindset that, hey... I'm having a problem and I'm going to share it with somebody and they're going to benefit in one way or another from learning from what I'm going through. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, for me, when I talk to people, it's being able to be open to that idea that sharing your problems actually is helpful for everybody involved mm-hmm. to the people that you share. It gives them an opportunity to serve you, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then it I know builds that's relationships a, so it, much. Yeah. It, you know, it does. It builds trust. It builds communication. It builds awareness, yeah. which I think is something that didn't exist, you know, even 20 years ago. People didn't talk about this stuff mm-hmm. very openly. And it was hush hush, mm-hmm. which is where the stigma comes in. Right. You know, and you don't see it. It doesn't <clears throat> exist. But the reality was it was there and it was always there. Yeah. So being able to uh, reach out to people, I think anticipating other people's needs is also a big one. So how would you go through that? How would you recommend to reach out to somebody you feel like is dealing with something? Because um, I don't want to like walk up to a friend and be like, hey, so it seems like you're depressed. And they're like, What's, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, be offensive. you know, it's funny because like you can do this in a lot of ways. Right now, what's running through my mind is are these ideas around grief. Like if somebody dies, what are ways that you can reach out? And when my father died, people would always say things like, whatever we can do, we're here to help. Okay, that's so broad. That's not very helpful. But we did have a neighbor who was like, I'm going to the store. I'm going to pick up some groceries. What do you need? It was it was very specific. Yeah, and it was like, hey, I'm here to take care of your kids for this night. You guys just go and have the night off. You know, and I could take it or leave it, but it was very specific okay. rather than broad, yeah. broad statements of I'm always here to help. I'm always here to help. So just looking for little things because we all need to do laundry. We all need to shop. We all need to eat. Mm-hmm. You know, here's here's a dinner. I made you dinner. 
Why? Just because. Mm-hmm. I mean, those type of anticipating those needs are is helpful for people who struggle. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I think it takes a lot of confidence too. It's mm-hmm. it's almost scary sometimes as as the person yeah. do like offering doing that, help, that yeah because you have to like come up and like. <laughs> Assume this is their need, right? And like, assume that you know what their need is, even though it's likely that you know they have to have food and they have to have all these like really obvious things. Uh, but to go out and say, I will do this for you, um, and hope that maybe they won't be offended or embarrassed, yeah. Is like, so maybe we should just like be less worried about offending people (laughs) and just do it. (laughs) I, I will say that, like, when you reach out that way, people are are more likely not to be offended. I, at least in my experience, people aren't offended. They're offended if, like, I guess it depends on the way that you present it and the way that you ask it. But if they know you're struggling with something and you've been invited into that circle, mm-hmm. when you reach out specifically, they tend to embrace it. They okay. tend to be like, okay, yeah. you know. Okay. So. Yeah. Um, I think also just, like, um, texting you oh, yeah. can really just send a text and say, hey, I'm just thinking about you today. Mm-hmm. And touching bases with them, keeping that connection so they don't feel, oh, I just told them all my life story and now nobody, then you don't hear from them for a while. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That makes sense. So, And I feel like that is something that I am bad at, but um, I want to be better at. Like the, this um, like transition from like everyday kind of light type conversation mm-hmm. to like meaningful right. conversation, like taking it to the next mm-hmm. step where like it can just be a text, but instead of saying like, Hey, how's it going? Like, what are you up to? What's new? Mm-hmm. Like ask, like, I noticed that you've been really struggling with something or like, mm-hmm. like kind of taking it to like an emotional level, mm-hmm. which I, again, I am pretty bad at. So I'm working <laughs> on that one, but I, I've seen real power in that. Like there's a total switch in the conversation, mm-hmm. total switch in like the relationship as soon as you open up that line of communication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we want to avoid isolation. That's, I mean, those are the enemies to anxiety and to depression. If we can avoid isolation, because it really is about connection. Mm-hmm. And when you can make those connections and they're meaningful, you tend to do a lot better. You deal with it a lot better. Mm-hmm. So, I just keep thinking of the... the as you're talking about connections and isolation, those thinking about like the the parable of the lost sheep, mm-hmm. where like there's one sheep alone, yeah, who's probably like stuck on some cliff with <laughs> yeah. his horns in a in a bush or something, right? Um, and like the scariest part for him is probably not that his head is like in a bush, but because he's not with the rest, the rest, the rest. Yes. yeah. And so like we have a responsibility uh, to go out and, and find the one and find that yeah. one. And so like even if it's even if uh, the eventual goal is to get them back to the herd and so like it's not like just you who's, yeah. who's being there but like the moment that we're able to like find the sheep the sheep feels better because of the connection yeah. because of the realization like yeah. oh i'm not alone yeah and so like that anxiety goes away like even though like even though like they don't they're not experiencing the exact same safety as they do when they're in the, mm-hmm. the whole herd they a lot of that anxiety goes away because they're not just by themselves exactly Absolutely. exactly to be frank, I, I haven't struggled with, with anxiety and depression. And sometimes when I'm around people or, or I have friends mm-hmm. or family who do, I have no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, have, I, I feel like I freeze up. I'm like, I don't know what to do with my hands or my <laughs> mouth. I'm just like, um, And 
sometimes, and this might be totally wrong of me, and so you can tell me if I'm wrong for doing this, but like sometimes I feel like people use the and like the popularity of the popularity, but like the mm-hmm. the wide the mm-hmm. widespread awareness of mm-hmm. of anxiety and depression as a justification for bad behavior mm-hmm. or for not dealing with things, mm-hmm. and. I don't know what to do when sometimes I feel like that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't want to call them out on that because what if they're actually dealing with anxiety and depression? Right. And so like in that weird mode, like what do you do when you suspect that it's, that it's just a, ju- just a crutch. Like they're just using it to justify their, their behavior and in, instead of using it as motivation to develop good coping skills. Mm-hmm. You can d- answer that question directly or kind of address that issue. Cause I saw that you had, your multiple issues and like yeah. uh, so I think it depends on your relationship with the person mm-hmm. um, if you are related to the person or if you are a close friend of the person I think calling them out on it is fine okay mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of times they may not realize that they are using it as a crutch mm-hmm. and so I, I correct me if I'm wrong well, she comes from the medical field where they're like, you have 15 minutes, so here you go. <laughs> I'm from the therapy model where it's like, we have an hour. Okay, let's get into this, right? <laughs> For me, I'm like, well, you know, because uh, people adopting, my belief is that people use what is most resource, resourceful yeah. for them for their best interest i really feel like people are using whatever they have and if they use that as a crutch it may be because it's the only thing they know Uh and they just need to know something else and so maybe introducing something different or a different perspective for me asking questions is always fantastic Mm -hmm. because it makes them Mm self-reflect but it also helps me understand better where they're coming from Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Getting their so perspective. Getting their perspective. Ask yeah. more questions about it. It's like And that's why I said it depends on your relationship with them. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. For sure. Because but, I yeah. wouldn't do that to a complete stranger. Yeah, like in yeah, my office. No, I, well I would. I, I would. I'm gonna call bull on that. <laughs> yeah. I ask questions all day. You know. And we just examine where the, where this thought is coming from and why they why they feel and believe this. Because you can change your thoughts. And mm-hmm. so you can start introducing other things to, in your discussion. You give and, them different pers- yeah. perspective. And through asking questions, you help them work through their yeah. thought process because they may not have ever thought about their thought process mm-hmm. and what that actually entails. Yeah. Okay. So, I don't know if that answers your it question. Does, it does. Yeah. I do want to give a plug, though, if people are can't afford i know that we talked about that earlier but (laughs) like if they can't afford treatment there are clinics that provide Mm -hmm. treatment for lower income families and they do provide without insurance yeah and people without insurance in utah there's the the malahi clinic and the pelosi and the pelosi you just show up and they will treat you yeah and so for mental health you can actually go to any of the universities that provide um therapy or provide counseling uh, degrees and they have interns that provide it but they're mm-hmm. under the supervision of mm-hmm. therapists so yeah. they're they're getting their license but you can get treatment and good treatment, good treatment yeah. at these places mm-hmm. for really low cost so and sometimes if you're your students it's free, it's free. Yeah. yeah and sometimes if you're students it's free yeah. so the help is there and i just hope who, your listeners don't feel that cost should prohibit them mm-hmm. from getting the help that they mm-hmm. need because there's a lot of help out there. Okay. That's good. Would you feel comfortable if our listeners 
feel like that is a, a call to action they need to answer, um, but they still feel nervous about re- finding those resources, mm-hmm. would you feel comfortable with them emailing you sure. and asking yeah. about that? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, then we will include your email in, in the uh, show notes if you want to reach out to them. Yeah, so sure. Um, okay, so I know we want to talk about um, how to raise like anxiety-resilient children. Mm-hmm. Before that, can we just ask a couple questions that we had from Instagram? Sure. Um, most of the questions were answered throughout, but there were a couple more specific ones that I'd love to hear your responses on. So the first one is, can there be a shift in your life when depression and anxiety start affecting you completely differently than they ever have before? Out of nowhere, no life changes. Yeah, it's like doing the same thing that they've been doing for years, and then all of a sudden it just like... Comes upon them. Mm-hmm. What do you have in response to that, I guess? <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That yes. can happen. Yes. Yeah. I think um, it's through different seasons of your life. You can be doing the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But circumstances around you may change. Your ability to uh, have those coping mechanisms may change. Uh, for example, um, you know, when you're in school, that's a whole different dynamic. When you're raising children, that's a whole different dynamic. I don't feel like your life ever stays the same. Um, you go through a period after school where you're busy creating a, a life and a career. Yeah. And then that there's an end to that. Mm-hmm. And then there's another phase where you go into retirement. There's another whole series of, e- of emotions that surround that as well. Mm-hmm. So... When a person says, nothing in my life has changed, I'm like, yes, but what part of life are you in right now? Mm, okay. um, because, and also with women, like like I said, menopause. <laughs> it's a whole other phase yes, of life. Yes, it's a whole other phase of life. Yeah. Your sleep is disrupted in different ways. And so it, it just, it really, even though you may not have changed anything, things may have changed around you. Okay. Um, and your ability to cope with them may have changed as well. Okay. Um, so... Would you recommend to, if that's happening to you, just like self-examination? Self-examination, kind of figuring out if there are some things that you can adjust to or things you need to uh, decide if they are worth it in your life. Like Mm -hmm. this guy who was working 100 hours a day. Is that really worth it to you? You know, I know it's a lot of good money, but (laughs) is it worth it? Yeah, what what is your end goal? Do you want to... What are you saving the money for? You know, so I think that there is also a perception that some people feel like their life is monotonous, mm-hmm. and that they're like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm feeling this because nothing is changing in my mm, life. Maybe that, yeah. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, yeah. the recommendation actually for me is to do something daring every day, something mm-hmm. you would normally not do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, whether it's to sing in a public bathroom or, I mean, it's really random. <laughs> this explains things. so this is, much of yes. Facebook. I know, right? <laughs> Facebook now, I understand it. <laughs> I've done that before where it's like, I just want you to do something silly. I want you to cross the street like a weirdo. I just, to do something that's out of your, mm-hmm. you know, what you feel is like monotony. If you can just change what you're doing in the monotony, it actually helps okay. you figure things out. It's like variety is like the spice that. of life. Type yeah. Variety. You know, yeah. if, you, if you always get the same thing for lunch, get something completely different. 
do something. That's but I really like sweet pork enchiladas from Cafe Rio. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I think I haven't ordered anything different from Cafe Rio in like the past like 20 times I've been. Well, if you get if it starts being monotonous and you're like, I need a change. I'm, per- I'm pretty okay with my steak. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, good. Add some hot sauce to that thing or whatever, you know. So. Okay, this other question is quite specific and pretty serious. Um how can we help someone who deals with their anxieties through drinking alcohol? Yeah. I think generally more like through negative through negative, negative addictions substances right. or addictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for mental health, it's um, you're always looking at uh, the pain because mm-hmm. alcohol is just a coping mechanism Self-med- for the pain. Self medication, drug use is mm-hmm. for the pain, mm-hmm. and so you're what we address in therapy is where is the origin of your pain, okay. and how do we deal with that in more resourceful and helpful ways for you, mm-hmm. you know. And then in the medical side of things, we look at the actual physiology of addiction, mm-hmm. and there is a physiology of addiction. There's an addiction center in our brain, mm-hmm. and so sometimes medication is necessary in order for them to be able to yeah. cope with the physical need. Um, so what do we do as individuals? Yeah. You know, it's like we're not medical as professionals. As if this person yes. is a family member or something. That's a hard part. That's a hard part <laughs> because you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. Want to be helped. <laughs> right. It's like that, that one scene from The Office. Do you guys watch The Office at all? We, I on occasion. Like, yeah. On occasion, <laughs> yes. well, There's one episode where Meredith like gets drunk at a, a Christmas party and then like lights her hair on fire. <laughs> and... Uh, Michael is convinced that she, well, she is an alcoholic and she's constantly getting in trouble because of, she's drinking. And so he is convinced that they need to intervene. <laughs> and so he basically like kidnaps her and convinces her, hey, we're going to a bar and then pulls up to a rehab center and drags her into the rehab center. <laughs> and then he finds out that, oh, you can't like force people. <laughs> you cannot force people. I think one of the other things is uh, drugs and alcohol start off as social things, mm-hmm. but they end up being isolating things again. And it's back to that isolation. Okay. So finding connections is huge. Getting into groups Um, I know that there are recovery groups that you can go to for free um, and if they're interested in doing that. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's helpful to go with them, you know, Mm -hmm. go with them. But just being aware uh, and being open about the communication of how whatever is happening is affecting everyone's lives is super helpful. Not minimizing that, you know, you have a drinking problem. You don't want to minimize any of that. Because they're already doing that. Yeah. So. Yeah. The most successful um, people that I've seen that have come into my office have been, you know, couples who have come in. You can tell that the the one that's drinking feels ashamed. Mm-hmm. But you also see on the, sorry, you see on the flip side of that, the immense love and concern that the partner has and they know that together they can get through it and I think that that's that open communication is the the most important thing yeah and, sh- and um we're getting emotional sorry <laughs> But yeah, that open communication between the two, they need a support system. They need somebody consistent and they need somebody to be honest. So 
We're getting a little emotional. Yes. Um, and I'm assuming, is this? And that's okay. Yes, this is good. I just wanted to ask, is this, are these emotions being brought out because of a family member or because of a, a patient? Yeah, it was because of a patient. And um, specifically, it was, um, it was interesting because it was all through um, email, uh, through our, my, my patient email. Um, just a concerned spouse sent me an email stating I'm really worried about my spouse and the medications that he's on because I know that he's over drinking and we're expecting a baby and she was just really concerned so she had reached out and so I reached out to my patient because I can't really communicate with the spouse Mm -hmm. I have to communicate with my patient and just said look your wife and I are both concerned about you. Um, and here are some resources that I think that you should look into. So I gave him, you know, some alcoholic uh, rehab uh, um, ideas. And then he responded to me in a very kind manner and said, thank you, I'm willing to to look for help because I am concerned about, you know, what this new baby is going to be coming into. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, but I have heard back from both of them stating that they were grateful for the help. But I think it was an open communication between them and the provider as far as... Because I had no idea that that was going on in the home. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have known that unless she had reached out to me. Um, so I think... Reaching out. Reaching out, looking at all your resources. It's really frustrating. I have seen you know episodes where the person was not ready. Mm-hmm for the help. And in those situations, it's very hard as a spouse and a partner or a family member to do anything other than show love yeah. and just be there for them. Well, I think I took three really good takeaways from, from your example. I think first, um, communication, like openly communicating, not just with the person, but with those who are also able to influence a little more, mm-hmm. like realizing that there are you know, you don't always have the leverage in every relationship. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And sometimes that leverage has to come from outside, like from the medical professional mm-hmm. or the doctor is able to help. Um, the second one is love is always the key. I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. like every time Christ did anything, every time he corrected anything, anytime he did anything like that, it was always from a point of love. Mm-hmm. Um, and realizing that that the person's choice to heed the counsel or not mm-hmm. shouldn't affect like how much you, you love the person. Absolutely. Um, and the last thing I wanted to say is just, like, for me, this is really comforting knowing that if I ever need help, that there are medical professionals out there like these two who are so emotionally connected to these people who love their patients that, like, they're going to cry about it when they're talking about them on a podcast. <laughs> um, and so, like, knowing that knowing that there are people out there like that providing this this medical, this kind of care should be a comfort to all of you guys who are listening out there who, who are either thinking about it for yourself or are getting to a point where you think you need to recommend it to somebody else. And I would recommend finding medical professionals and therapists who are as loving as these wonderful people here we have with us today. Oh, thank um, you. You're very nice. <laughs> I know, that's very nice. I do want to point out with the love that there are different, different definitions. And this is from the therapeutic side mm-hmm. that with love be sure you're not enabling mm-hmm. that you don't uh-huh. interpret love as enabling the mm-hmm. behavior to continue because because that's not love right mm-hmm. so anyways i had to throw that to oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah it's, uh, we've, we've talked about that several times before it's like mm-hmm. charity or christ-like right. love yeah isn't 
It's hard. Yeah. It can be hard. It can be very, uh, you know, very abrupt. And it can be confrontational. But love is, love, love really is what you need. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like love isn't like an avoidance of yeah. confrontation for the sake of avoiding confrontation. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's holding that person's uh, development and progression as important as your own. Absolutely. Or maybe like just under your own at least. Yeah, means. right. And so like your primary concern is not their feelings in a given moment, mm-hmm. but their where they're going to be yeah. at in 10 years from now. Or Perfect. Years. Perfectly. So I have the benefit of being married to a therapist. And so... <laughs> and I have the benefit of being married to a medical professional. So. But in the situation... So you get counseling yes. and you can get drugs. And I get drugs. That's like... But in situations where uh, I have, you know, dealt with the anxiety from post postmenopausal issues or whatever, um, he has helped me work through that by just stating, this isn't about you. What (laughs) (laughs) you know, so sometimes he will call me out on my thinking errors, yeah, uh, which has been super helpful. But that is based on love, and I know that's based on love, and that he's helping me get through things, yeah. So it can be confrontational, and it's okay, but yeah, we (laughs) want to be sure we're not enabling negative behaviors because that is not where we want to be, yeah, uh, in the long term. Nope. Dealing with children is a whole other thing. Yeah. So I was at, I don't remember where I was at, but I was with a group of kids at one point, maybe like a year ago. They were probably like seven or nine. And one of the little girls was talking to her friend saying something like, my anxiety was so bad yesterday and just went off. And I was like, you're like seven years old. Like, you know the word anxiety? I didn't learn that word until probably like my teen years at least, but... I was just, like, curious, like, is she going through this, like, true anxiety, or is it a word that is so commonplace that people are labeling their hard feelings? I don't know, and it's hard to judge that. But how do you think, like, what are some things we can do and suggest to people to raise a more anxiety-resilient generation? Yeah, super hard. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think it's because we talk about it more and because the kids are hearing it more, they're more likely to Mm -hmm. repeat it Mm -hmm. and say it. And then self-diagnose. But there there are very uh, specific criteria for a diagnosis of anxiety. And I think for me anyways, I think there is a detriment to saying you have anxiety if if you don't because... There is a difference between the two, and I don't. I, I would never want to minimize what somebody with true anxiety goes through because it's actually really mm-hmm. it's not pretty. Mm-hmm. Like it's really uh, depression is the same way, um, but education definitely is one of the things that would be beneficial for for children and for parents. I mean, know specifically, and then correct it if you hear your child say well i'm struggling with anxiety is it really anxiety or i'm struggling with this challenge Mm -hmm. you know so having that open conversation Mm -hmm. not just kind of saying like oh you have anxiety like really get down to what it means to them i really love the message you guys have been saying kind of repeatedly throughout the this episode and the episode before because we'll probably have split this into two episodes um but like we I think society's approach, or at least like the popular culture mm-hmm. approach to anxiety and depression is like handling people with kid gloves mm-hmm. and like like treating them as super sensitive, like breakable objects. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems like that's not necessarily the case. I mean, like we, you need to be straightforward, you need to be mm-hmm. direct, you need to correct. Yeah. Um, and that includes people who 
having anxiety and actually have it and people who like are saying they have it when not like it's not an issue to be treated with kid mm-hmm. gloves it's an right. issue that's serious mm-hmm. and the only way to really treat it is with you know there has to be charity there has to be christ-like love involved and then there has to be a- appropriate applications mm-hmm. of of coping mechanisms brought up taught mm-hmm. through therapy yeah. and sometimes with the help of or like with the help of yeah. professional with, with medical yeah. stuff yeah. I think so. As far as raising resilient children, you know, we're not perfect parents at all. Um, they're pretty good, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. There are, there are days. <laughs> but we, we do, um, I, I feel like it's really important to help develop a child who has good self-esteem, but the most important thing is preserving the relationship with the child, in my opinion, so that they can express to you when they are feeling low or when they are dealing with the stress and that you can help guide them along the way. Yeah, we've been working with a family Mm -hmm. that um, together, (laughs) kind of helping, kind of (laughs) co-helping, where the child has never been able to communicate with the parent. And it's been awakening like an awakening because now she's a young adult and she's Mm -hmm. having to work through all of these issues of not feeling safe Mm -hmm. to communicate these things and so to anybody to anybody and not that her parents were bad they were great parents and they taught her great things raised her in a good home provided for her there was no no issues like that but the communication wasn't there, and the relationship wasn't there. Once again, so. parenting is hard. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, it it really is. For for both of us in raising our daughter to be resilient, it's learning when to let go of certain things to mm-hmm. allow them to make decisions, mm-hmm. which is hard because our daughter just started driving, and I was the one to push, go, drive, go, mm-hmm. you know, go learn how to do it. Yeah. I want you to, because she got her license, and my wife is the one that's like, no, don't. We'll drive you everywhere you need to go. You know, so we'll Uber you everywhere. Yeah, pretty much. For the rest of so, your life, I don't want you, you to know. get in an accident. But you know, that's that's irrational thinking on my part. Right. We can't like wrap her in bubble wrap. Even and if keep I'm her driving, forever. we might get in an accident. That's right. So it's kind of learning when to let go, even though it's causing both of us anxiety to know she's driving on I-15. <laughs> It does cause us some anxiety, mm-hmm. but I, you have to be comfortable sitting in the anxiety to let her yeah. do it. So that, let's get a, oh, sorry, a let's like choose or get a specific situation here. So okay. say you have a child mm-hmm. who um, is struggling to cope. Okay. Mm-hmm. How do you teach a child proper coping mechanisms? Mm-hmm. Because I think coping can be different for different people mm-hmm. and, and for different children based off personalities and whatnot. So walk me through the process of teaching a child to cope especially you coming in you've seen this you have really good examples with this because you've come in from the outside Mm -hmm. and had to kind of start from ground zero and then develop these coping mechanisms right so um i it all depends on what what the issue is or what i'm teaching to Mm -hmm. i'm thinking maybe not something so traumatic but something like everyday stress maybe yeah how to cope with like hard stress whether that's in school or feeling Mm -hmm. the comparison issue or like Mm -hmm. yeah maybe it's due comparison i think that's Mm -hmm. one that's That's very relevant so it's not like something that's like crazy debilitating it's something that we all deal with Mm -hmm. and it's something that like 
children especially, I mean all of us, but especially children, need to Teenagers learn how, how to deal with appropriately. So let's walk through that one. Okay, so in, we both approach it very differently. Okay. All right. So, Great. Let's hear our conflicting opinions. Yeah, yeah they're, they're a little <laughs> conflicting, but for me, it's about listening. And it really is just listening and allowing her to get it all out. And with a teenage daughter, she can talk for like 45 minutes. <laughs> it's kind of, it's it's exhausting. But it's, I mean, she's, I hope she doesn't hear this, but it is exhausting sometimes to listen to, you know, what is going on. It's not that I don't love her. It's just that as a male, I want to fix it. And so I just want to give her tools and be like, fix it. Mm-hmm. But I listen. And then after I listen, then I start asking questions. And the questions are geared to have her question her thought process. Uh And then by doing that, she's able to discover alternative ways of looking at it. So that's, that's usually my approach with my daughter. Because I want her to discover these things. I don't want to tell her. Because if she discovers it, it's actually hers. So you're helping her kind of... Teaching her how to examine her own thoughts and find the faults in her find thoughts. The, find, the, find the faults in her thoughts. And I'll couple that with like gospel questions. You right. know, like, oh, okay. So this is how you see this person has a perfect life. I'm like, you know, and she's like, yeah, they, everything's going so well. They have so many friends. And then we'll just talk about, well, okay. Well, um, what happens after this picture? What happens before this picture? What happens at night? What happens after high school? What happens? They, if, what happens when she gets in trouble? Out, you know. I mean, what are what are the realities behind right. just what you're seeing? Right. And then examine some of those those alternative ways of thinking that right. oh, everything just works for her. So mm-hmm. then my wife yeah, is great. more confrontational. But that's I'd it. like to hear that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I'm bad. No, you're not bad. Actually, it's a good balance to have both. Yes, yeah. like, it really God, is made, a good God made us serve men, women different, and then women different. Yeah, yeah sometimes yeah. on some days we'll be like, okay, you be the bad guy. Yeah, we take turns. And it's like, okay, I'm going to, we're going to throw down that it's my turn. And then the, okay. yeah, I, I did the nice thing today. Just the keep the kids yeah. guessing. We never, yeah. we never want them to know where their ally really is. Um, most of it's time most that's just why most of the time i'm actually confronting her on her thinking errors yeah and telling her well because well, you know i don't know that this will help her be resilient or not though that's why i don't know if i want to give this advice <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't grown up yet <laughs> um i think um you know, just kind of helping her see through my experience as a girl also. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't have that. That, that, that. I went through similar things and I ended up okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, helping her see that you can survive um, those situations without being tra- traumatized by them. Okay. Um, it's really interesting in speaking about this. Uh, do- uh, when President Nelson gave the youth the challenge for media fast. President Nelson is the... Uh, the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, yes. by the way, for those of you who don't know. <laughs> and so he, as uh, as an inspired leader, he did ask the youth of our church to do a media fast for seven days, was it? I think it was, it was a time frame. Or seven or ten days. Yeah. They've been like three or four yeah. different social media fast yes. challenges, like in a mixed <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So yeah. interestingly, my daughter was on Instagram for a, a period of time, mm-hmm. uh, maybe two, two years previous to this challenge, and I noticed that 
her anxiety was actually increasing over that time mm-hmm. frame. And she was doing a lot more of the comparison. Mm-hmm. As soon as she had done that media fast, cause, and I didn't tell her she had to do it. There was just something she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, great, do it. So she did it. And then after that, she's like, mom, I'm calmer. I'm, I'm like, that's great. And I'm like, well you can get back on if you want and she's like no i don't think i am and she hasn't gone back on media and that was her own choice yeah so not every child is going to do this but i think she recognized in herself that she struggles with this Mm -hmm. situation and so that was and she realized that that uh was a contributing factor right so, how, much, how much more powerful that solution is because yeah. she was the one who came up with exactly yeah. like if we had told her you should stop that or I'm gonna take it away or, oh, you know? so much harder than I thought I was gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> but you know um, the other issue was how why did we give her a phone so yeah, yeah. <laughs> with access to those you know mm-hmm. there are other options now looking back Every, I think that everybody, we could do yeah. and it depends on the child and the situation and as uh, well. yeah our level of monitoring what we yeah. could do what we realistically could monitor and do right and, and then our trust level with her and so we we opted early to give her a phone which i know is not a popular thing but she for was us, an only child and we, we, we wanted, both work well <laughs> we wanted to be sure that she could navigate those things and understand it in a safe in a safe way with yeah. us so yeah. that's why we opted yeah. to it's because it's better to give freedom incrementally as yeah. opposed to like hey here's all this freedom exactly. go off to college right exactly yeah. well because i mean it's not going to go away once they're an adult it's going to be yeah yeah as you said free to them everything will be free to them at that point yeah something that i just want to share like my little experiences (laughs) i don't yeah we'll wrap up after this but um kind of from a child's perspective i guess Uh um my dad really helped me with this because we would always have very frank open conversations about our strengths and weaknesses oh great and so we would talk like i would be aware of mm-hmm. my own strengths and weaknesses, and we would set goals on how we can work on them. We can master our weaknesses to become mm-hmm. strengths. Yeah. And so I think, like, I'm only a parent of a toddler and a baby, two toddlers, I guess. But I think, like, that's something that I would love to implement mm-hmm. is to, like, not treat mm-hmm. my kids like they're doing everything right or they're doing mm-hmm. everything wrong or they're perfect or they're, like... Yeah. But having those open conversations, having them see, this is where I struggle, this is where mm-hmm. I'm really good... What can I do? Yeah. And I think Absolutely. just in, in interaction with kids, I've tried really hard at this, even though our kids, again, are, are both toddlers. Um, treating kids not as like, having my ultimate perception of them not be, this is my child, yeah. but my ultimate perception of them being their eventual potential. Like, mm-hmm. like this is, you know, like the next president of the united states like this is the next like scientist so this is like the next great like the world's best mom after their mom and, and so um kind of like seeing them yeah like seeing them potential. yeah seeing them as their potential and then all my interactions are based off of that instead of saying like their primary identity is like as my child yeah. absolutely as that's like a three-year-old approach it yes yeah yeah and this is not just my child like my three-year-old child so like right. seeing them as where they're going to be and not or where they can be and not where they're at now. Mm-hmm. I think that has helped me in my... Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's wonderful. Both of the, I mean, those ideas, the approach of... That's a very healthy place to be because 
our children do grow up and they become their their own selves and they have their own lives and if we're too enmeshed in their identity we tend to struggle as parents mm-hmm. figuring out where the boundaries are mm-hmm. and we can't cut the cord and it and we actually mm-hmm. cripple them in the long term because they continue to be viewed as our child and the other part with your dad that's fantastic i mean having open communication with your dad that's very specific and very goal oriented that's a powerful thing that all parents should be doing with their kids. It's very yeah. Dave. It is very Dave. It's, a, it's wonderful. I think that's just yeah. great. I think no, I'm like I super goal-oriented, so and so like are you, Andrew. And I, I know I, I'm pretty sure I got that from my dad, setting goals, making lists. and yeah. See, and that's her. Yeah. She sets goals. She does shopping lists. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, whatever I'm hungry for, I guess I'll throw it in the cart, you know? So yeah. it's kind of a balance between the, <laughs> the two of us. The impulse. In the <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty yeah. impulsive that Man, way, Well, so. again, I feel like every time we have a conversation with you, it could go on for hours. <laughs> but unfortunately, we are limited by the uh, yes. the scope of our medium. Yes. So... Yeah. Is there anything, any main takeaways you want to hear? Well, my main takeaway was with helping other people who are struggling with anxiety and depression, helping them to not feel so isolated. So in that, I got to make sure to do specific services, to reach out through text messages, to really try and make friends. And something I've been doing recently is using social media as more of a friend, friend, a friend making platform friend instead making of like platform. a place where I go to scroll and compare mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. So I'm doing less scrolling and more like reaching out to other people, um, even more than just commenting, but like messaging people and just trying to make friends and make people feel special. Yeah. Wonderful. So that's like my main takeaway is like, let's make sure that people don't feel so isolated. Mm-hmm. And I think my main takeaway, um, shows the difference in our personalities <laughs> uh, my th- main one is the uh, the fact that we we shouldn't really deal with this issue with kid gloves like it's an issue that needs mm-hmm. to be dealt with up front mm-hmm. and with christ-like love and not with hesitancy or not mm-hmm. with like like dancing around the issue right. it needs to be something that is dealt with directly but with immense love mm-hmm. uh, and so like when we're dealing when we're trying to help others or trying to help ourselves um, it always needs to be from that perspective of deep love but also deep clarity mm-hmm. or intense clarity. I'll say that. Yeah. All right. That's great. Well, we will break this up into two episodes, but we're so thankful for Liana and Lee for being here with us. Thank you guys so much. Um, if you like what you're hearing over here at Outpost of Heaven, the podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave us a rating and review. We love to hear from you. Do all those good things. Um, Email yeah. us, reach out to us on Instagram, engage with our posts. Yeah. We really love stuff. hearing from you and we feel like, um, We've been able to connect with a lot of you. And if you love what's going on, like the more you interact with us, the more your input is going to shape the podcast because we're trying really to provide things that are directly beneficial to you and to your interests. So engage us and your voice will be more reflected in in what we do. And that engagement comes through Instagram. Um, So make sure to follow us at Outpost of Heaven. And last thing I want to say, if, if you are struggling with this or if someone you love is struggling with this, are struggling with anxiety or depression, Jesus loves you. And there are tons of people around you who love you, and you are probably having a hard time seeing that, but there are tons and tons of people who care about you deeply, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of resources for you to find the help you need. Um, and if you are wondering if you need to reach out for help, reach out for help. Um, we will provide a lot of the resources that we've discussed today in our show notes. And again, Uh, Our wonderful guests have agreed to uh, put their 
email. Well, we'll put their emails in our um, in the show notes, and you can reach out to them uh, if you have further questions or if you need access to certain resources, and they can point you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Right. Thank you, guys. Bye. Keep the faith. <laughs>